I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This talk continues our four-week teaching series, The Cell, where we look at the ancient words of the 23rd Psalm. Join us this week as we look at the cell of shame. Welcome to the final week of The Cell. And today we get the privilege of talking about something that affects every single person in this room. Every single person. And that's shame. See, this is for all of us because we all have failed. We've all messed up. And failure is something that throws us into a cell and we struggle with getting out of that. And there's also something that follows failure that keeps us in that cell. And the thing that follows failure is shame. It's the dark days, the sad eyes. It's ignoring the relationships around me. It's ignoring God, and it's pretending that everything is okay when it's really not. And all of that stuff throws me into a dark cell. And when I land in the cell of shame, I have a proclivity for staying there, for hanging out there. It's like I can't find my way out, and it's not good. But here's the good news, and there really is some good news. I don't have to stay there. I don't have to stay there. There actually is a way out. And so here's our big idea for today. Here's what we're going to spend our time thinking about for just a few moments. And that is break out of the cell of shame by letting God use past failures. And we're going to unpack this for a bit. So we're going to break out of the cell of shame, which is totally possible. I can do this. I should be doing this. And the way I break out of the cell of shame is by letting God use my past failures. So it's not about hiding from them. It's not about trying to cover them up and pretend that they never happened. They're there. And so we're going to break out of the cell. We're going to overcome shame And the way we do that is by letting God use our past failures. One of the things that I've really enjoyed about this experience is that we've read the words of the 23rd Psalm every week. And listen, I really, really hope, I do, that these words are beginning to fall into your life and that you're beginning to remember them and that they're having some level of impact in your life. I hope that they are helping you find peace. I hope that there are, they are helping you discover that God is huge and that God is big and he is my shepherd and he guides me, he directs me, he protects me. We have an incredible God, we really do, an amazing shepherd. And so I wanna read these words one more time and out of respect for God and his word, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read. Here's verse 1 of Psalm 23, and keep in mind this is written by David, a guy who was a shepherd. He actually had experience with directing and leading and guiding sheep. And in this paragraph, he says that God is the shepherd and we're the sheep. So keep that in mind. Here's verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. 
And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies, and you honor me by anointing my head with oil, and my cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And these are the words of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to pull out two different thoughts from the verses that we've read today. And here's thought number one. The shepherd is crazy about a sheep. He is. He's just crazy about a sheep. And how do we know this? Well, it's because he actually prepares a feast for them. And this is what we find in verse 5. It says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. And the picture here is of a shepherd preparing the land and actually getting food ready for the sheep in the middle of other animals who wanted to eat those sheep. So this is kind of a good thing that the shepherd does. He clears the land and he finds good things for the sheep to enjoy. Now, spiritually speaking, our shepherd does the same thing. He clears the path for us. He clears the way, and he gives us good things to enjoy. See, he's a great shepherd, and this is a great thing. He prepares a feast for us in the presence of an enemy who wants to take us all out. We've got an incredible shepherd, and this is kind of a good thing, but it gets better. Back to verse 5. It says, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. Now, in the ancient East, a thoughtful host would bring a guest into their home, and they would honor them by pouring oil on their head. Now, this seems like kind of a weird thing to us, doesn't it? Yeah, it is kind of a weird thing if somebody did that to you. Like if I invited you into my house and you came in the front door and you stood there and I said, hang on just a minute, I'll be right back. And I run into my kitchen and I come out with oil and pour that on your head. That's a freak out moment for everybody, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of a weird thing and you're going to walk out because you want no part of me and the oil on your head. You're just going to leave. It's kind of a weird thing for us but not a weird thing in this culture. See, if they invited you into their home and they poured that oil on your head, it was kind of a refreshing thing. It actually felt good to them. And if you had been traveling for a long time and you had scratches and cuts, that oil would actually serve some medicinal purposes. It would heal you. And so it was refreshing and it was healing. That and you had some really oily hair, which always makes for a great conversation starter, right? So the picture we have here is of the shepherd, and he anoints our heads with oil, which means that he refreshes us, and it feels good, and he actually brings healing to us. See, we have an amazing shepherd. He prepares good things for us in the middle of a spiritual enemy who wants to take us out. And he refreshes us and he makes sure 
that we're whole. This is really, really good. Good news for us. But it gets better. Back to verse 5. It says, my cup overflows with blessings. Now, here's the crazy part. See, we can kind of read that, and it sounds somewhat normal, and we blow right past it and don't consider those actual words. But an overflowing cup in this culture was a powerful symbol. Now, for me, an overflowing cup is never a good thing, and my kids always try to pour soda, and that stuff is always overflowing, and it seems like it takes them years to figure out the art of pouring soda. So for me, an overflowing cup is never a good thing. It means a huge mess. But an overflowing cup here, again, a very good thing, a powerful symbol. See, hosts in this culture used it to send a message to their guests. And if your cup was full while you were in the home, it meant that they really enjoyed you. They liked you and they wanted you to stick around, so they made sure that you had something to drink. And as long as the cup was full, it meant, hey, we're having a great time, we're enjoying each other, and we get to stick around for a bit. This is wonderful. But if the cup ever became empty, it meant that the host was done with you. Like, you're a boring person, you need to get your stuff, and you need to get out of here, because we're all done. So a full cup was a great thing, a wonderful thing. It meant you got to stay. An empty cup meant that it's time to pack up your things and go home. On those rare occasions when the host really, really enjoyed somebody, you would not only have a full cup, but custom tells us that your cup would be full to overflowing. They just wouldn't stop when it reached the top. And that thing just spilled all over the place and nobody cared. Nobody was bothered by that. It was a wonderful thing to be all messy and sloppy because it meant that the person, the host, really enjoys me. My cup is overflowing. Now get this. Don't miss it. This is what the shepherd says about his sheep. Your cup is overflowing means the shepherd likes you. He loves you. He wants to enjoy your company. He wants you to stay forever. He wants to enjoy you for a very long time. And that's why the shepherd says, your cup is overflowing, even though I know every detail of your life. And even though I know all of the failures, I'm still going to fill your cup to overflowing. Because the shepherd wants his sheep to stay in his presence. So just let that capture your thoughts. Let that crush your shame. Let that cover every failure. Let that soothe the pain of the past. The fact that the shepherd fills our cup to overflowing. He wants us to stay. And again, he knows everything about us. He knows every detail. He knows all of the failures all of the shame. And in spite of that, he prepares a feast for us. That's what he does. He refreshes us. He anoints our head with oil and he heals us. He wants us whole. And our cup, overflowing, 
overflowing because he wants us to stay and enjoy him. Question, who else does that kind of stuff when they know all of the details of our life? I mean, not just some of the details. God knows everything. He knows it all, and yet he still does this for us. Who else can pull that off when they know everything about our lives? The answer is pretty much nobody can do that. Nobody but the shepherd. And the reason the shepherd can do that is because he is crazy about his sheep. He's crazy about them. Well, here's thought number two. Not only is the shepherd crazy about his sheep, but the shepherd pursues us. He chases us. Here's the last verse. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And here's a great promise. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this is kind of a shocking thing to me. It's surprising. Because normally, we picture God as an individual who dwells. I mean, he's a big God, and he's incredible, and he does so many wonderful things. But God doesn't really move a lot. He just kind of dwells. And because he's so big and important, people go to him. They take their problems to him. They bring their issues to him. He's a dwelling God. That's not the picture that David paints for us at all. He says God is mobile. God moves. God chases. God pursues his sheep. Really? Is that actually what God does? I mean, does God just kind of dwell and we always have to go to him? Or does God actually pursue his sheep? Well, what's interesting about this is that you don't make it three chapters into the first book of the Bible and you find God pursuing Adam and Eve. See, they had failed. They had sinned. They had done the thing that God had asked them not to do, and so they're hiding. They're trying to cover up all of their shame, and God begins to walk in the garden, and he's asking, where are you, Adam and Eve? Not that God didn't know where they were at, but he wanted them to own their failure, but he's pursuing them. He's chasing them. He's getting after them. There's a guy in Scripture named Jonah, Jonah tried to get as far away from God as he possibly could. He wanted nothing to do with God, and yet God chased him. God pursued him. There's a guy named Lazarus. He's a great friend of Jesus, and he actually died. And we find Jesus going to where he was buried and raising him back to life again, pursuing him. And then there's a guy named Peter. I mean, Peter failed miserably. He actually denied ever knowing Jesus. Talk about shame, right? But we find Jesus pursuing him, chasing him. He finds Peter on a beach, and he cooks breakfast for him. So does God pursue? Does God chase? You bet he does. He does it all of the time because he's crazy about his sheep and because of that, he pursues us all day long. I've got a story of somebody right here at Valley Point that I want to share with you. Somebody who really needed a shepherd. Somebody who could have allowed the shame of their past to keep them from ever accomplishing anything. 
but yet the shepherd was pursuing them, and it changed everything. His name is Brian Hassan, and this is his story. I grew up in a broken home. My dad had left, had left when I was young, and my mother raised the 12 kids, mostly on her own. The area we grew up in had a lot of violence. It was a kind of rough area with a lot of drugs and alcohol. And my brothers and I got caught up in a lot of trouble in the area. And I ended up in a lot of fights on the streets. It seemed I was pretty angry at the world overall. I was constantly fighting things in my life and in my mind. I never really had peace. I ended up in trouble with the law and spent some time locked up. There were times in my life when I felt like I should pray or reach out to God for some help, especially in the darkest times when I was alone. It was weird. It was like something was telling me God was there, but I wouldn't want to seek him ever. I guess I just figured I had to fight the battles myself. I didn't want to be weak and try and get God to bail me out of my own problems. I kept telling myself if there really was a God, he didn't want anything to do with me. They didn't want to do anything with my problems. Just there was a lot of shame in my life for the way I was living and the way I was treating other people. While in high school, I played sports and even earned a partial scholarship to college. But I got in a lot of trouble in my senior year, and I wasn't allowed to leave the state. I graduated from high school and got a job working as a gopher at a company that reached out to troubled youth. The office manager there was a really great lady who told me something one day. She told me that there was two things that the world cannot take away from you. One was your education and the other was your faith. Uh, I didn't really have any kind of faith, but I knew I could get an education. I'd been accepted to college, so even though I was never the smartest guy in the room, I knew I could outwork most people. So I worked hard in school, never leaving things undone or quitting. I kept working hard and earning more and more degrees. After I completed my PhD, I started working in the medical field. I actually found a lot of success and advancement in my career. My life was looking pretty good. I had a great job with lots of opportunity. I've been elected to some local and national offices within my career. I was making more money than I ever thought I would. I had a great wife, and I still do. <laughs> had two kids, a dog, and a nice house. It looked like life was doing pretty good for me. What nobody really knew, though, was that it w- there was still battles going on inside my mind every day. I had no peace, had no hope of peace even. A lot of what that was was from my past. I went to church with my wife because I thought it would be good for my kids. I figured they would meet some good kids that they could hang out with. Mostly I was indifferent to church. I didn't think that it offered me much. The first time we came to Valley Point, the preacher was speaking on the 23rd Psalm. I remember him saying that we, are all, we all needed a shepherd. He talked about how the shepherd leads his sheep to green pastures by still waters. Man, it just sounded so peaceful to me in my mind. Something really started to click inside of me. It just kind of blew me away that God was there to protect us, even if we're all screwed up. And by trusting in Christ, he would offer me peace and would be with me all the days of my life. He could actually forgive all the stuff that I'd done and even use my failures to help others. On that day, I decided to trust in Christ. I really needed to lay down all the battles and burdens that I had uh, been fighting in my mind. 
that night when I lay down to go to sleep, I would usually get up a couple of times and check on the kids and check and make sure the house was safe. On that night, I prayed to myself uh, that I'm going to trust Christ tonight, and I'm going to trust you will keep my family safe. During the day when I started getting angry or bad thoughts would come into my mind, I would ask God to help me focus on the things that Christ focused on. I began to transform and escape from what had trapped me for the previous 36 years of my life. I've come to know a peace in my life I never knew existed. I want everyone to experience it as it transforms our lives that are locked up inside ourselves to a life of freedom. Every day I continue to work on trusting God and seeing Him use my past failures for His good. Shame is something that locks us up and keeps us from being the kind of person that God wants. And so based on Brian's story, and based on the words we find in Psalm 23, I want to share some takeaways with you that can help us break out of the cell of shame by just letting God use all of that stuff that's there. First of all, don't let the past eat your future. Just don't let the past eat your future. See, God's word is the way out. And not letting the past eat your future involves letting a heavy dose of God's word just kind of fall into our lives. See, here's what time with God will do for us. It gives us boldness. Because isn't that what we lack when we're living in the land of shame and that dominates the landscape of our lives? We lack boldness, and time with God takes care of that and gives us a boldness that we never had. See, sometimes we don't want people to know about all of that stuff back there, and so we hide it, and we cover it, and we become timid people. But time with God makes us bold. There's some incredible words found in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It's a story about Peter and John, and they're kind of before a council, and it says this. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And you see that word ordinary there? It comes from a Greek word, idiotes, and it means unskilled. And from this word, we get our word, idiots. And this is pretty much what the council thought of Peter and John. These guys are ordinary. There's nothing special about them. They're actually idiots. And that was probably based on some of the stuff in their past. Because both Peter and John had a past and there was a lot of shame there. Now get this. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. See, these guys were anything but ordinary And what gave them that boldness was time with the shepherd. And time with the shepherd takes care of a lot. And it helps us not let the past eat our future. Here's the second takeaway. God is a specialist. Let him do something special with what you hate about your past. God is a specialist. See, sometimes we think that God can't use all of that stuff back there, and we forget that he is a specialist, and he is totally able to take all of those moments of failure 
and shame and turn them into moments of joy. God is able to recycle pain. He's able to recycle shame and help other people get out of the same cell. Will you let him do that with your past? One of the things I love about Brian's story is that he is so willing to allow God to use all of the failures in the past and all of that shame to help people get out of cells today. And so often we kind of walk away from that and say we're not going to do that. And we don't want to be involved in that. But God is in the recycling business and he wants to use your failure to help people get out of the same cell today. Will you let him do that? Will you let him? The last takeaway is this. Trust the shepherd. Just trust the shepherd. And this has been one of our takeaways almost every week of this series. And I have to ask you the question, is he your shepherd? I mean, we've been talking about all the wonderful things that he does for us. And today, we're thinking about how he gives us good stuff and he refreshes us and our cup is overflowing. But is he your shepherd? Have you trusted in him alone? Have you embraced the leadership and the forgiveness that the shepherd offers to you? Or have you kind of been pushing away from him? See, Brian got to a point in his life after 36 years where he said, I'm going to trust the shepherd. I'm going to embrace him and I'm going to hand over the controls of my life to him and it kind of changed the direction of his family. And God can do the same thing for you, but you have to trust the shepherd. And you can do that today. The Lord is my shepherd. He's mine. I have all that I need, all that I need to break out of any and every cell. Father, we're so thankful for today and for the opportunity we have to consider what a great shepherd you really are. God, you're amazing. You do so many good things for us. You guide and you protect and you lead And God, I just pray right now that you would allow these words to sink into our hearts. May we remember them and may we just let them change us. God, maybe there's some people here today who just need to jump into your word and not let the past eat your future and get bold because of their time with you. God, maybe there are some here today who just need to turn their lives over to you, the specialist and allow you to use that hurt, that pain, that shame in the past to let other people get out of the cell today. And God, maybe there are those here who just need to trust the shepherd for the very first time. God, speak to us. I'd like for you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. I want you just to Say, God, here's what I think you're saying to me today. Here's what I think you want me to do right now. Just talk to God about that. Maybe for some of you, it's time to trust the shepherd. And you're getting your understanding perhaps for the very first time that there's a God who cares about you and offers you a wonderful gift.
you want that today. You can just cry out to him right now and say, God, I know that you see me. And I know that I failed. I know that I've messed up. I know that I've sinned. God, right now I ask for your leadership and your forgiveness. I trust in you, the shepherd alone. My life is yours. That's something that you've offered up for the very first time. I want to say to you that you have a forever friend in God, somebody who will never leave you. You have a shepherd who will guide. It's the greatest choice, the greatest decision that you will ever make. God, again, we just come to you and we're so, so thankful and humbled that you do this for us in spite of who we are all of our failures, all of our screw-ups, that shame that we hold on to. God, you still give us good things. You still refresh us. And our cup is overflowing because you want us to stay with you. God, use all of this to change us now, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.